Welcome to another episode of the Augmented Podcast. Augmented brings industrial conversations that matter to manufacturing. Our vision is a world where augmented lean management of technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. We serve an audience of executives, industrial leaders, investors, founders, educators, technologists, academics, process engineers, and shop floor operators, a long list across the emerging field of frontline operations. In episode 76 of the podcast, the topic is low on code and high on process, and our guest is Prabhjot Singh, CEO and founder of Pies. In this conversation, we talk about business process intelligence and workflows in manufacturing and logistics and the future outlook for low code in industrial applications. Augmented is a podcast with industrial conversations that matter, hosted by futurist Trun Arne Unheim and presented by Tulip. Don't be fooled by Industry 4.0 hype, which overpromises and underdelivers. Instead, discover how the best leaders in manufacturing and life science really work to be lean, achieve efficiencies, and empower their workers. In Augmented Lean, a human-centric framework for managing frontline operations, serial startup founder Dr. Natan Linder, co-founder of Form Labs and CEO and co-founder of Tulip, and futurist podcaster Dr. Trond Arne Untheim, co-founder of Yegi, provide evidence of how the best digital operators make use of technology to augment workers and not simply to randomly automate because it seems like a good idea. The book is available for pre-order in a bookstore near you and is published by Wiley. Pre-order your copy now and be ready for this new management paradigm. Augmented Lean is a practical playbook for augmenting your workforce with the latest cyber-physical adaptations to digital technologies. Hey, Prabhjot, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you today, Tron? I'm doing great. I thought we would have a bit of a conversation on code and business processes. I'm looking forward to it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out you and I actually, we almost know each other. That was a, that was a funny coincidence that I know your brother. Yeah, very small world. I, I thought you knew some random guy in Boston, but uh, there you go, there small you go. world. There really is. Well, um, the reason I was mentioning that is it ties in a little bit to your journey. I was curious. So you, you spent a bunch of time, I guess, on the East Coast here, your bachelor computer science from, from BU uh, in Boston. And then uh, you spent some time in New York at Citigroup. Uh, after that, I understand you, you did a bunch of marketing roles. But then you turn to founding companies, and, and now you have Pies. Yes. So tell me a little bit about your journey, your entrepreneurial journey, and what you've learned, and you know, how did you end up on this track right here? Yeah, it's been a really fun journey, uh, you know, certainly with its ups and downs, as all entrepreneurial journeys go. But uh, you know, I've learned a ton along the way. And I was telling our engineering team maybe a few months ago, look, everything you ever want to do takes longer than you expect. So plan for it, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's sort of one key takeaway, right, from my, from my journey. But like you said, I, I did computer systems engineering in college. I joined Citigroup right out of school as part of their management associate program. So John Reed, who was then the CEO of Citigroup, had come out of that program. So it was kind of a darling program within the bank. And we got a ton of training on banking, on management, and then they rotated you to different parts of the bank, right? And then you'd come out on a management track. So I did that for about a year, and I got a call from this little startup in the Bay Area that had just raised their first round of funding, 
right, called Wiley Technology. It was 12 people, right, almost no revenue. I'd never been to California before, and they offered to fly me out for an interview. So I was like, sure, let's do it. (laughs) Sure. And I never looked back. And Wiley was a was a wonderful experience because, you know, we actually created a new market that didn't exist. If you remember in the early days of the internet, you'd be trying to pay a bill or sign up for a credit card or rent a car and the site would just go kaput, right? No one knew why because there were these monolithic Java.net applications running in the back end and no one could figure out what was wrong, right? And you'd have these massive conference calls with like you know dbas and developers and you know the whole world really just pointing fingers at each other in terms of you know it was the code it's the database it's whatever it's the web server so wiley figured out how to look inside these monolithic applications at the bits and bytes of what was happening right so we we could figure out okay hey it's an ejb or it's a memory leak or it's a servlet whatever and we created that market right and and it led to sort of other large companies like uh, New Relic, App Dynamics, right, and this this whole flurry of the APM space coming into being, and I got to ride that journey from being employee number, you know, fourteen, to we got to about sixty million in revenue, and then we sold the company to Computer Associates, where I took over as VP of Marketing, and then we grew that to about two hundred fifty million in, in revenue before I left. So it, it was a fantastic journey. I learned a lot, and you know, we did a lot of things right, a lot of things we could have done better. And with that experience, I sort of said, okay, well, let's try the entrepreneurial thing myself and see how it goes. You know, it's interesting what you said about not knowing what's going on inside of an application, because incidentally, uh, I guess your business now is tied to this new idea about, I, I guess it's it's both. It's sort of, the, it's important to know what's behind there and that somebody knows it, but it may not be important that everybody knows everything about the applications, right? So there's this idea, I guess, uh, that you're building on uh, about how to build a business process in a more advanced way and, and use IT to do it. But the question is, of course, always, you know, how skilled do you have to be in any given role in order to make use of that technology? And I wanted to ask you just a little bit more broadly about that issue. I mean, you've you've got a computer science degree, but from early on, from what you're telling me, you, you got the clear sense of, at least in finance, right? It has to matter to financial metrics. Otherwise, you know, the technology is, is serving an ulterior purpose here. That, that's um, right. So is is that kind of the mindset that you were drilled on? And is that why you then turned to kind of business process intelligence as opposed to diving into technology for its own sake, which I think it seems like, you know, a lot of startups and certainly a lot of engineers, it's very tempting to sell a lot on the technology itself. But you've made kind of a fairly explicit choice to focus on the process aspect. That's right. Yeah, even in the Wiley days, I I always imagined if the technology that we had could be leveraged, right, to look at the business process. Because people always execute, initiate projects, technology projects, to achieve some business goal, you you would hope at least, right? Otherwise, you've got technology in search of a problem, whether it's a startup or a project in an enterprise, and that's a bad place to be. When you are initiating any type of technology project, you you typically are trying to do something faster, better, cheaper. There's some business goal associated with with, with the project. So you have to be able to tie what you're doing to the business impact that it's creating. And with Pies, 
what we do is essentially do a MRI of the business process. And I'm, I'm borrowing that verbiage from my friend Habib at Tech Mahindra, who sort of said, hey, in the olden days, we'd like inspect the patient and try to figure out what to prescribe them. But with pies, we can actually do MRI and figure out, okay, we need to operate on the left kidney. I mean, it's pretty useful, right? To have more of a scientific, I guess, overview of what's going on as opposed to just making random recommendations. So how does that work exactly? So you you work with mostly larger businesses, I'm assuming, to automate their, some of their business functions. How, how does that come about? Is it typically a client that knows they have a problem and then you apply diagnostics to some of their business lines or is it the opposite way around that they hope that they can improve something but they don't really realize that they have a problem anywhere in the system or is it a bit of both it's oftentimes a bit of both you know if you look at kind of big enterprises they're used to engaging with the large consultant companies that maybe come in once every six months once a year right and and do some sort of a strategy planning exercise or they might initiate some sort of a process improvement exercise. And those engagements are very expensive. They are time consuming. And you can't really be that thorough because of the way that in which they are executed. Right. Typically there's qualitative interviews that happen, you know, there's spot checking of some transactions or process flows. But with technology today, we can literally look at a hundred percent of all transactions that flow through a system. Right. So if I'm looking at, let's say, an order management system, we can look at 100% of all orders that flow through the system from order creation to delivery and understand how much time is spent at each step of the process, what are the different workflows that that order goes through, which workflows are more efficient right, in terms of speed, in terms of cost. And we can also look at outliers, right? which orders maybe take the longest and why they take the longest. So we have with Pies the ability to use AI to not just continuously monitor 100% of all transactions, but also look at the data to make predictions of, hey, here's an anomaly that's going to impact your business you know, a week down the line or a month down the line. Give me a concrete example. We, we were talking about the U.S. Air Force before. I mean, they have a bunch of challenges, obviously, keeping planes in the air. But you, you were talking about a very specific challenge having to do with who, who's going to fly these planes in the air. Why is that a computer problem? Yeah. So the U.S. Air Force, one of our largest clients, they've got a challenge that on any given base, you only have a couple of people that have enough context to be able to make decisions on what planes should fly which missions, right? Because I've let's say I've got a pool of 50 mission-capable planes that can fly a specific mission, right? There's context around maintenance history. There's context around the type of mission that has to be flown. There's context around weather, right? And there's, there's a number of other data streams that sort of go into that decisioning process of, okay, I should use this plane versus this plane. And there's very few people that actually have that in their head, right? And it's mostly sort of art. And what we're trying to do is make that science, right? Essentially by looking at the maintenance history of those planes, looking at these different data streams, our process intelligence platform can actually sort of say, okay, these planes are the best fit to be able to sort of fly and then eventually get to a place where we'll actually be able to say, this is the best plane. Right. But that, that requires sort of developing trust in the system and 
really augmenting the decisioning process so that there's confidence that, okay, the system actually can make the best decisions. Well, augmenting obviously, you know, plays well with me here. So I'm curious, is it is it just a decision? I mean, I don't know how much you could speak to the details, but is it just a decision on what the best plane is? Or, I mean, surely it depends on who the pilot is available as an input as well. But I mean, maybe that's a little bit more personalized than the system could be at, at this stage. But it, it, it seems to me that it's not just an availability of equipment at the end of the day. It also has to do with uh, sort of a fit for mission. But I, I could just imagine this example is obviously very rich and, and interesting <laughs> because it's a complex it's a complex thing to fly a, a, fly a plane. And, and I understand airplanes, uh, certainly military airplanes, to be complicated pieces of machinery for sure. Yeah, well, you know, the point you're making is a really good one, right? The people dimension is extremely important when you're thinking about any sort of process improvement exercise, right? Because we're constantly hiring new people, people are leaving, right? For any process that we might be thinking about. And what we typically do when we're examining any process is not just look at sort of the process data, right? The the what happened when right? If all you need is what happened when for a particular transaction to be able to put together a a workflow map, right? But who did what when is extremely powerful because when we know who, we can now bring in a whole different data set in terms of who that person is, right? In terms of their title, their role, seniority, pay band, right? All of these things can now become another vector that we can do analysis on. Yeah, that's why I was asking, I guess, because I was curious, you know, you call it the process mining industry. And I was just curious, that's a funny name in and of itself. But you know, what sort of processes particularly and what kind of data do you actually have available? I guess it depends, right? Each client has organized their data in different ways. And then there's obviously external data to layer on top of it. But uh, what is it that you're typically working with when you're trying to streamline a, a business operation? So typically, we start with the base process activity data. Right. So if we're, if we take an insurance company and they're interested in optimizing their claim processing, there's things that happen from claim being created or submitted to that claim getting closed out. Right. There's, there's a bunch of things that happen that, and you have different actors that are executing specific actions. So there's sort of just the base activity that's happening at each step of that process that we're ingesting into our system. And you know, we've got plugins to various different platforms to be able to capture this data automatically. We can pull it through APIs, log files, right? There's lots of different ways to get the data. We do extracts from databases all the time, right? So it depends on what the customer has available. And that's really the base data. Once we have that in the system, we then try to augment our understanding of the process with the employee data, like I mentioned earlier, right? So it might be Active Directory, LDAP, HR system, right? Pulling in data about who that employee is. We'll even bring in pay ban information. Now we know, you know, if it takes Bob 30 minutes to do something, what does that cost the company, right? And now we can put a workflow together and look at the cost per workflow. Then we might bring in customer data, right? CRM information, Mm -hmm. because now we can do analysis based on who the customer is and look to see if there's you know, some sort of patterns related to whether it's a particular region or a size of customer or industry, right? So, so the more data we have, the smarter the system becomes, right? Obviously. Yeah. 
Can you give me some more examples on on what kinds of specific workflows that you are enabling when it comes to perhaps manufacturing tasks and logistics tasks? So we spoke earlier, you and I, just about a couple of other use cases. So Collier, you know, in real estate, you you, you had some work done there, and then sure. also U.S. mail is a very it's a very visible one. Everybody can imagine that billions of pieces of mail they they have to be organized in a streamlined way to actually get where it needs to go. So that's a, a lot of opportunities for operational failure for sure. And I could imagine they do have some data about what needs to go where. So curious. Absolutely. You know, oftentimes organizations have data, they don't have information, right? This is sort of the the big problem is too much data is sometimes a bad thing if you don't know how to make it actionable. But it's actually worse because now you're, <laughs> you're sort of like, okay. <laughs> That's right. It is worse in many ways. Yeah. So Collier's International has been a client of ours for you know, about three years. They're one of the largest commercial brokerages in the world. And we work with them to help streamline processes across a number of applications. But, you know, we started with them to help them optimize their deal flow, right? So their deal origination system that's used by brokers to originate deals and then process deals and close deals, right? That's really the heart of their business right. to identify, you know, where there's opportunities to potentially improve the speed at which these deals flow or the orchestration of workflows. And, you know, as we've started working with Collier's and other customers like Collier's, as organizations go more towards digital, they want an understanding of their end-to-end digital business. So with Collier's, we're now starting to think about, okay, well, how do listings become deals, right? So you can sort of now start to map two different process flows and understand how they connect, right? So what types of listings have a better conversion to deals and what can we learn from from how those listings are created right so that you you can improve the conversion and i kind of expect to see more and more of that with a number of our other customers right in, in financial services and manufacturing where you've got disparate processes you know in, in manufacturing you might have sort of you know upstream supply chain You've got the actual manufacturing process, and then you've got the delivery. And all of these things are interrelated because when an order gets created, you actually are executing all of these different flows. So to have that end-to-end visibility and identify, okay, exactly where there's a particular issue or a bottleneck is really, really important so that you can optimize that end-to-end process. But with the U.S. mail, uh, more than with Colliers, I'm assuming, I mean, here we're talking about a cyber physical system. There's actually mail and bins and uh, physical locations to take into account. How does your system or, or other systems that you're aware of, you know, how do you take all of that into account? Because the type of data and the sources of data, they might come from sensors and devices and, uh, you know, edge systems and things. It's not just coming from a clean uh, you know, software database that you may have to sort of clean further and, and, and you know, join up with something else. It may not even come from a database at all, is my point, right? It's coming from a physical process that they're capturing some amount of imperfect information about something that's moving around. That's right. So you know, in that kind of a context, there's a couple of key engagement points, right? One is looking at sort of, let's say, scans data, right, for a container or for a trailer and identifying where there's mismatch in terms of what the process ideally is and how it's being executed, 
right? Because you want to get clean data before you can optimize. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to optimize the end-to-end process if you have gaps in the data, right? So even being able to identify, okay, you know, there's gaps in terms of assignment of containers or closure of containers, right? For any kind of logistics organization, but, you know, whether it's the Air Force or UPS or FedEx or you know, any of these types of groups, and then being able to sort of identify, well, when is that happening? And, you know, putting together a plan to resolve that is really step one, right? So that now you have good data around, okay, I, I can match my assignments for a container with closures and then loading that container then onto a trailer and then unloading it, right? And you get that end-to-end flow. Once you have that, now you can start to say, okay, well, okay, how do we actually improve it? This brings me to the question that we really wanted to get to, which is the role of the user in in these systems. Because one of the challenges, right, is software use, you know, especially software that does handle big data, the idea was, okay, let's get these data scientists in there, and you know, whether it's a consultant or a system or, or, or maybe your own employees. But now you're dealing with specialists that are expensive and you don't have too many of them. But this idea of low code, which you seem to be pretty passionate about, the idea is different. It's, it's more about having a, a bigger group of uh, managers, I guess, able to look into the system and make decisions and perhaps even adapt the application. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, so any given organization that we walk into where they're focused on process improvement, and look, typically people are always working on ways to improve their existing processes, right? No one likes to sort of see a process that isn't suboptimal, remain suboptimal. They're generally spending as much as 50% of their time just munging the data, right, in terms of data extraction, data transformation, data cleaning. And that's a really bad use of those expensive resources, right? Whether it's industrial engineers or business analysts or management that want kind of visibility into sort of what that process entails and what the execution of that process is. So what we do at Pies is really implement this low-code process intelligence layer that sits alongside or sits on top of the process, right? So you automate the data collection as people are interacting with applications to push things from one step to another step, we extract data from BPM platforms that might be used for orchestrating that data flow, right? Whether it's like a Pega or an Out Systems or a Mendix type of a system, you know, and then we'll pull data via API from backend systems, whether it's SAP, Oracle, Salesforce, you know, whatever that system or record is. And once we have those pipelines hooked up into our platform, well, then it's kind of magic, right? Where you sort of get real-time visibility into that process flow end-to-end. Well, well, so now you have real-time visibility. It's interesting how much work is needed before you get there because these uh, monolithic sort of legacy systems or, you know, some of them aren't, I guess, necessarily legacy systems, but it's just that they're not all interoperable, are they? So there's a significant amount of, of work to get to the point, even if your system is low-code, right? So you're saying the data preparation here is not trivial. Yeah, uh, well, it's not trivial because... Well, if the data doesn't exist, there's nothing we can do about it, right? So, so yeah, sure. <laughs> the data has to exist, but the transformation of the data and kind of normalization of data, all of that happens in our system at ingestion. So there's very little prep work that's required, 
right? And and then what we're continuing to do is build more and more of these automated integrations. So like we've got this deep integration with Pegasystems, for instance, right? Which is used, you know, whether it's warranty or financial services or manufacturing verticals, where our system is automatically aware of process definitions and stages and steps of a given process. And we can understand how long people are spending at each step of that process. So now you actually never have to go to a database or go to log files. We automatically collect that in real time. And and that's really what I mean by low code. Whereas typically you might be spending six weeks gathering data from these different systems and getting access to that data. But now you can just drop in the pies component and capture that in, in real time. Yeah. So there's there's much talk in these low-code companies about changing the way that not just software is developed, changing the way that business processes and operations really work. And you just clarify for us what that actually means in your world. So this idea of the old way of doing things being, you know, a sort of a waterfall metaphor where things are just sort of like flowing like water. You know, once you've come to this stage and you come to the next, and then the idea of agile being more iterative and, uh, you know, sort of sprinting is the metaphor there where you're sort of like joining up and, and, and kind of solving a problem, but not really waiting for the next one. And it's certainly not a stepwise process always. How does that actually work? And why, why is it important, do you think, in, in terms of how a non-technical business or, or a business that doesn't necessarily consider themselves delivering technical things, like they could be in finance or manufacturing, they're delivering real things. Why do they have to care about these sort of operational steps that derive actually from the way software is developed? So in, in the olden days, right, there's this waterfall development methodology where you'd have business analysts that would focus, you know, let's say for three months or six months in understanding the problem that needed to be solved, compile a holistic set of requirements, right? And we'd create these BRDs and PRDs. Oh my God, I'm having like flashbacks to <laughs> to places where I don't want to go. <laughs> and you know, you'd have this 30, 50, 100 page document of okay, these are the requirements. And then people would code those, right, for the next three months or six months. And then you'd eventually get that product to market. And then it would no longer be relevant because it's a year later (laughs) that it actually got to market. And of course, that has some flaws from a methodology perspective. Mm -hmm. And agile is, as you said, all about sprinting, right? So we develop things in quick sprints, you know, one week, two weeks, three weeks, right? Maybe four weeks at maximum in which you have smaller set of features that you can push out to production, right? So that you're being more relevant and then you kind of get feedback and then you develop those features more and iterate. That ties into something which is, a, I guess, a really big issue. You know, a lot of people think that automation is necessarily a good thing because it's, you know, more, more efficiency. But there are some ways that automation isn't always a, a silver bullet. And I guess it ties in a little bit to this idea of if you have predetermined that you think you have this issue and you design this waterfall methodology to fix that problem, what if you're fixing the wrong problem? Have you, have you had that happen? Oh, absolutely. Like we, we see this all the time. I mean, we, there's a financial institution, major financial institution in the U.S. that we work with they implemented RPA, right, robotic process automation, as a potential solution 
to solve a bottleneck that they were seeing in you know one of their kind of critical banking processes. And they spent six months deploying it. And then they spent the next three months ripping it out because it actually didn't solve their problem, right? And you can imagine like that didn't go well at a management level, you know, for customers, for employees. And this is really where Pies comes into the picture, right? Where we're providing that MRI of what is the current process and not just identifying that there's an issue, but the why the, the issue exists, right? So you've got to do root cause analysis of bottlenecks, of issues before you sort of figure out what the solution should be. And you have to be able to do that at a, at a pretty deep level so you have confidence that the solution is actually going to fix your problem. Hmm. What about the future outlook here? So low code as it stands now, like you said, uh, you know, smaller startups uh, have started really implementing low code and to some extent no, no code. And they're becoming more these interfaces that are plug and play and you don't really need an enormous amount of training to at least to use the system, perhaps uh, differently when you're setting it up. How do you see the future for low code in industrial applications more widely or or specifically to your field? And and what's going to really happen to this field? Is it is it always going to be this tinkering where you have to do this sort of an analysis of the business problem? Or are there any big sort of improvements waiting in the pipeline here that are going to really transform the landscape, either in the way the power of the data, the power of the optimization of a of an operational process that you can execute using you know a low code approach yeah i mean so i i think we're going to see a lot more low code applications coming out in the market right in terms of different verticals right and and and, and low code basically signifying simplicity right things become simpler to execute simpler to build simpler to deploy simpler to maintain you know, we're already seeing that in everything from IT operations to development. And in terms of kind of the future, this idea of sort of a self-healing system that automatically kind of understands what the problem is and fixes itself and deploys that fix to production and we're in this state of nirvana is, is very far away. Well, and maybe that's good, Prabhjot, because one of the issues I would have with, you know, with <laughs> such a future, for example, is that it's all well and good that you don't need to see the code, right? So that I could appreciate that, that you don't necessarily need to be a software developer. But what you do want to see is you want to see the or understand the algorithms so that, well, one, you understand how the system is supposed to work, right? You want to know what priorities are being put into this system because something that's being spit out of the system isn't necessarily the truth. It is, of course, only what you have programmed the system to do, hopefully, uh, you know, unless the system takes on its own properties. So that, I guess, is my question. With, with many of these low-code systems where the whole point is that you don't have to look behind the curtain, isn't there a little bit of a danger that people then get lazy and, and don't even look beyond the curtain and they trust either a vendor like yourself or they trust, you know, again, start trusting their IT department because basically there is no need to look behind a curtain. And things apparently at the surface look like they are working, but there's sort of murky stuff going on and you don't really understand how your own business operation works anymore because, well, I guess in this example, it, because it is self-healing, right? Yeah. Or would that be a good problem to have <laughs> once it shows up? Like I said, we're far away from that actually happening. and. 
look, our, our focus is on empowering people to do better decisioning, right? Because even in the world that you're talking about, you'd want to have an understanding of how those decisions were being made and what impact those decisions were having, right? So, because if you have visibility into a change that's made and the impact that that change has, well, now you can decide whether that change is good or bad. Yeah, I mean, your Collier example, just for one, right? You know, approvals for mortgages, you know, for example, right? I- imagine there was like some systematic bias in, in the system. So it was a perfect system. You know, people will, you know, approve for a mortgage five minutes, except some people are not approved, right? Also sure. five minutes. And and then you, you need to figure out why, why that's the case and if it's appropriate. That's right. And even kind of rewinding back to today, right, in the agile world, when we do, let's say, a release and we put out a new feature or a new product, the question is, did that release make things better? If my business goal was to reduce the cost of processing a transaction or speed up your ability to execute that transaction, you want to be able to measure that with each release of the application. And that's kind of what we're enabling is that don't just release code and then move on to the next thing, understand what the impact of that release is on the process, on the business itself, so that you can make decisions like, do we need to rejigger our backlog, for instance, right? Reprioritize things because you know we're not getting to where we want to get to, right, from the business perspective. Got it. So I guess this is kind of the unifying thread here in our discussion is that applications can only sort of drive business results if you if you know what business results you're looking for, I guess. That's right. If you if you don't, though you shouldn't be building applications. <laughs> right. 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 That's great. Any last thoughts? What's exciting with Pies? What are you looking at in the next few months? You know, we're in the middle of this international expansion, which is really, really exciting. We've got, you know, our first customers in in Japan and Australia, which has been very cool to sort of see how business gets done in in these areas as we're ramping things up from from the ground. And so that's sort of taking a lot of our time. And then from a product development perspective, you know, we're continuing to invest more and more in predictive analysis, right, to be able to sort of help forecast what the future could be based on what we're seeing so that people can take more informed actions. Well, it was exciting to get a little taste of uh, what you're up to. And uh, I feel like process intelligence, uh, you know, is instrumental for for many businesses, certainly on the manufacturing side in order to understand, you know, how your process can be optimized, but maybe also understand what it is that you, you are doing or should be doing, maybe change your priorities as well and, and see opportunities coming from from that data. So thanks a lot for contributing to the podcast. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on today. You have just listened to episode 76 of the Augmented Podcast with host Ronarne Unheim. The topic was low on code and high on process. Our guest was Prabhjot Singh, CEO and founder of Pies. In this conversation, we talked about business process intelligence and workflows in manufacturing and logistics and the future outlook for low code in industrial applications. My takeaway is that business process intelligence is the why of technology, because smoother operations is where the value of technology is realized. The future outlook for low-code in industrial operations is bright because it has the potential to streamline workflows in manufacturing and logistics. However, it is important to keep in mind that to leverage automation to do better decisioning and not just to squeeze out more with less. 
That starts with keeping in mind what the real problem is and steering with that in mind. If you don't know, figure out the problem, then invest in process, and if technology gets you there, invest in tech. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. And if you liked this episode, you might also like episode 73, The Challenge of Frontline Operations. Hopefully you'll find something awesome in these or in other episodes, and if so, do let us know by messaging us because we would love to share your thoughts with other listeners. The Augmented Podcast is created in association with Tulip, a connected frontline operations platform that connects the people, machines, devices, and the systems used in a production or logistics process in a physical location. Tulip is democratizing technology and empowering those closest to operations to solve problems. Tulip is also hiring. You can find Tulip at tulip.co. Please share this show with colleagues who care about where industry and especially industrial tech is heading. To find us on social media is easy. We are Augmented Pod on LinkedIn and Twitter and Augmented Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Augmented, industrial conversations that matter. See you next time.